0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The future of farms is the future of food. No Farms, No Future is a new podcast from American Farmland Trust and Heritage Radio Network. Listen today.
2: Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Saturday, February 19th, 2022. This is our 316th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. This show will be broadcast next week. Today, my guest is a rock star chef, and I'm currently at his restaurant in New York City's Greenwich Village, and I'll introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later, we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to allow music to inspire us. Yes, let's let the music in. It can not only be therapeutic, but it can motivate us and fill our souls beyond measure. Music can help us us physically, mentally, and even emotionally, and alter our moods and perspectives. So let's embrace music in our everyday lives, knowing that it is a gift. That is my tip today. All right, so this is fun. I'm excited. I am on location in Greenwich Village. With my guest today, who is Zod Arafe. He's the chef and owner of Wicked Jane, a relatively new restaurant in Manhattan featuring modern American American cuisine with a tasting menu and a la carte options, and it's Zod's first New York City restaurant. A veteran of several top New Jersey restaurants, Zod has been a leading has been leading highly regarded kitchens for over 20 years. He most recently was the consulting chef and partner at the Duke and Elephant in Bridgewater, New Jersey, and Wicked Jane is an accumulation on his vast worldwide experiences. Without further ado, hi Zad, welcome hi. to the show.
3: thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for, I feel like thank you for having me. I, I love being here. I love being in your spot.
3: It's always a pleasure talking to you.
2: Thank you. Same. I know we get in our long yeah, yeah. talks. Absolutely. So this one we'll we'll share with people.
3: Nothing better than talking about
2: food. <laughs> Nothing better. I agree. Yeah. So take us back a bit to your background and how you got into food, because I feel there was a little music um, along along your
3: path. Uh yeah. I uh, I started out uh, with music uh, and, and a rock band and hoping to be a rock star, and uh, along the way, I discovered food, so uh, food became a big passion. I guess at one point, I also started cooking for friends and girlfriends and whatnot, and they all seemed to really love what I was doing, so when I decided to give up music, I. I said, well, I really don't know how to do anything else except cook. So uh I opened a restaurant really without without having much experience. I did a few trails here and there, but not really much experience. And it was really greatly received by the press and including getting an excellent from New York Times. And from that point on, I really this became my lifestyle. I took this really serious and I said maybe i have some kind of special talent here and i this is this is how i live now i live for this business
2: around what time was that that first experience?
3: this was uh i opened up juniper i believe it was in december 96 maybe But I knew nothing about the business end. I I, I knew how to cook. I knew how to cook for for a few people. I didn't know how to cook for a hundred people. And I knew nothing about the business end. So a year and a half later, even though we were successful, we were bankrupt. I had a partner and he was not running the business uh, properly and not being honest. And that's when I decided to learn everything about this business. The wine, front of the house, uh, cooking and from that point on i had pretty much success
2: absolutely so so it's it's so you're completely self trained taught where where did you i mean was it cookbooks was it were did you have any mentors
3: uh no i i didn't really learn from i i bought a lot of cookbooks but i bought mostly cookbooks about ingredients uh or food philosophy or how chefs think and things like that not really cookbooks I, even even to now I unless somebody has given me a cookbook I really never bought a cookbook but I own not a lot maybe 20 food books and they're uh, they're mostly about ingredients or how we used to eat or why do we use certain uh Certain ingredients, for instance, I don't use pepper in my in my in my cooking, black pepper, and I try to figure out why do we automatically just put black pepper on foods. To me, I feel that it doesn't add anything to the food; it ruins the food, uh, especially if you're cooking really, really delicately. And I try to find out how did that come into play and 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 and, and read about it. And I think it was mostly to mask the flavors. Actually, it was not to add anything unique to the to the food and i and i don't use it because i always thought it was harsh i always thought black pepper was harsh at least for my style of cooking so still to today i don't use black pepper which most people just automatically just add salt and pepper to the food true uh, salt yeah. and pepper
2: brings out yeah. flavor
3: well that's what they say but i know I'm,
2: that's what they say but
3: i'm, but I'm not sure you know, you know especially when i see like some food that has like you can, you can almost see the black pepper like specks everywhere and it has been like a piece of fish that's been like hard seared, where like there's this like really dried out, crushed, and it's all black pepper. And, and when you eat that, it's not even pleasant. It's, it's 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 bitter, and it just doesn't add anything interesting. I mean, look, I've had steak with with pepper sauce or venison with pepper sauce. Or, uh, so, but that's. I'm trying to 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 focus on the pepper itself, not necessarily to just automatically add it add it on things so i i I kind of always did things a little bit differently than and, and and mostly because I didn't have any training i uh so I kind of just you know i i I still don't use stocks I still don't use beef stock or chicken stock or anything uh I was using a lot of vegetable stocks from when I first started I would, uh, Juicing a lot, but uh, that became part of my cuisine, it became part of my uh, my food to make it taste really clean. Uh, which is only about a few ingredients on the plate, it's not, I, you know, I, I don't like complex things, I don't like adding, especially today, just adding a lot of greens to no matter what you're doing, just to make the, the dish look pretty or flowers and uh. It's just not my style.
2: So how much does music play into your food or does it at all?
3: Uh, I I I guess it does. But it, it not because I'm thinking about it. It just it just became naturally of how I construct, especially in tasting menus. So when I when I think of a tasting menu, I kind of think of like a think of it a bit like a concert. Uh so the songs that you pick for your, you know, for your concerts, they have to flow uh, from your opening song to your ending song and whether or not you're doing a softer song somewhere in, a, in, a, in the middle. Uh, and I guess to certain songs, there's always uh, dynamics. And I try to think of that in terms of dishes. You know, between textures and sauces, uh, things are crunchy, things are crispy, things are buttery. Uh, I, I I do, but it's not conscious anymore. I, you know, I used to be a little more conscious before when I first started cooking. Today, it's a little less conscious. It just become my style of, 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 of cooking.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So... Take us back a little or through your career path of in in New Jersey and what led you to open this amazing restaurant now in New York City, and why all of a sudden are you coming coming across uh, to to my my home over here um, Well I'm,
3: you know it was always uh, the idea of me opening a restaurant in New York City it was just through things that life throws through you that you do business somewhere, somewhere else. But the idea was always uh, through through New York City. So after Juniper, there was a restaurant called Tan Square. And after that, I got uh, an offer to open up in, in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, before Williamsburg became really, really...
2: Hip, uh,
3: yep. cool. I guess hip or cool or <laughs> wherever it is now. It was just starting, I guess. This was around 2000. And it was by these guys who wanted to open up a really, really ambitious high-end fine dining restaurant. And that drew me to it. And again, we got great media press and great reviews from it. But it just wasn't the place where high-end fine dining at that point uh, existed. So, 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 so the restaurant failed. But uh, the idea was to always open up here and but the timing was just not right always, uh, and this was when my leases were ending up in New Jersey to my restaurants. I I decided to not renew them, and one by one I closed the restaurants down as the leases ended. And Blue was the last one. And when I uh, when I closed that, I my heart was for New York City.
2: So you found this space down in the village, and. Tell us a bit about the name Wicked <clears throat> Jane and the concept and, and and your your timing with the opening, which you hit into the the pandemic.
3: So it's very interesting how I ended up on A Street because we used to come to this street to buy clothing when I was in a rock band. Uh, this was always known kind of like a rock and roll street. Yeah. You know, we have uh, Electric Ladyland Studios right across the street from here, which is an iconic studio that's pretty much... Everybody from Jimi Hendrix to Led Zeppelin to Aerosmith, Kiss—I mean, everyone is recorded in that studio.
2: Well, everything comes full circle, right?
3: Yeah. So somehow, I don't—I'm not sure. I, you know, something—something something drew me to the to to to, to this area, to the street. Uh, and again, unconsciously, I wasn't thinking that I needed to be in this area or on the street. Uh, I was actually looking at another space uh, underneath the the film. Uh, the NYU film uh, building, wherever that is. There was a space available there. And we were in, we were in negotiations for the rent. And then I left. I had, to, I had to go to Europe for two weeks. And when I came back, I was going to meet the people to, to, at that space. And I passed by this space to, as I was walking from a from a train. And I saw that this space was open when I left two weeks earlier. And then it had closed down. So there was a sign for lease. I called up my real estate guy. I said, look, there's a space here. Uh, can we look into it? And within within two or three weeks, we actually had a deal here. It happened really quick. Uh, there's there's something about the, the whatever drew me here. And then when I was thinking of a name, I, I already had a few names for a restaurant that that, that I was going to name the restaurants. But when I was thinking about this space and, 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 and each space somehow influences me differently. So I don't think about it, even though I have menu ideas about what I'm gonna do, I actually don't, they all have, seem to change pretty much with every restaurant once I get in, inside, inside that kitchen. Because the space in the kitchen influences me how I cook. Uh so so pretty much all of the ideas that I had to do in the, in this restaurant, none of them well, maybe the four braccanoli. Uh that's the only one that we tried. Everything uh, and, and offered it uh last uh, last fall. But nothing uh, nothing else, uh, not nothing else inspired me to do to do those dishes in the space. So anyway, when I was looking for a name. It was the same thing. The, the, the name wasn't, wasn't inspiring me. I wasn't feeling it in my heart. So I wanted to be a little more rock and roll. I wanted to, especially since we were in this area, and to kind of be a little, little bit more of, I guess, who I am, as opposed to just having a name that signified a fine dining restaurant. So I couldn't think of that name. I. Uh, it was like three months. We were three months into... Into construction here, and and I still didn't have a name. So the lawyers are saying, You got to have a name, we got to incorporate things, we got to get paperwork done, this and that. So it was January of 2020. There was snow on the ground. It had just snowed, I think, the day before. There was quite a bit of snow. I decided to take a ride because that's really when I, when I, uh, when I can clearly think, and I used to do the same thing when I used to write songs. I would just take a ride, uh, take a ride, and I would just hum melodies into a tape recorder, and then go home and turn those melodies into uh, into songs. So uh, I decided to take a ride, and I was up in uh, North Jersey, and where it's hilly and mountainous up there, and I was going through this one street that wasn't fully, the street was not fully cleaned of snow, and the trees were ice and snow and they were kind of like coming down and it just looked, you know, when there's no sun and and there's snow, the world is like black and white. There is no color and the world at that moment just looked black and white. It was just snow and, and, and black trees. And I actually have a picture. I took a picture of that moment of inspiration and because the way the trees were hanging and it almost looked like there was like fingers and long fingers and fingernails uh, it just looked wicked, yeah. you know. It was it was a, it was a very wicked moment because the world looked black and white. The trees were like hanging and like almost like touching touching the car. It was just like really unreal. So Wicked stuck, you know. I said to myself, the name Wicked has to. I have to incorporate it into the name somehow. And then the second name couldn't be that much crazier because these restaurants usually don't call themselves Wicked, so the second name had to be a little more something that people people can relate to, something that's uh, that's that's more normal, I guess. So so I kept thinking uh, of names, and and actually I just went through the alphabet, you know, uh, Amber, April, starting with A and going all the way through. And as soon as I hit, as soon as as soon as I said to myself, Wicked Jane, and I was with a friend. We both looked at each other and we said, this is it. Yes. You know, it just, it just sounded perfect.
2: Yes. I said on my last show, I I told, I told listeners that we worked together a bit uh, for your opening on your PR and uh, (laughs) got to know each other before this time. I remember, uh, I remember you texting me, what do you think of this name? And I was like, that's it. Yeah, yeah there was something about it just it was, was completely th- on point for it, for what I thought you, I you think were trying to do. I,
3: I think you were one of the first pe- people that I actually texted the name before I texted anybody else. Yeah, was, I felt
2: very honored.
3: I uh, <coughs> think, and, and and the first three people said, oh, my God, that's great. Oh, my God, that's great. Oh, I love it. And I said, okay, this is it. So even if I t- yeah. texted to others, because uh, I, I, th- I thought maybe some of the people uh, – the investors in and, a and group would not like it, but everyone seemed to.
2: Yeah, no, perfect name. So, but not not perfect timing, I would say, because you you were set to open April 2020 and pandemic uh, was full force March 2020. And now here we are at the beginning of 2022, which is crazy. But how's, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. talk about what it's been like the past two years, because I i've I feel for you i feel I've felt for the whole restaurant industry yeah. how challenging it has been well,
3: I mean the restaurant industry has been beyond challenging and 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 I guess I have to be honest with you the the last mayor we had was absolutely horrible with his choices of what he did with the restaurants. He treated the restaurants really really badly, and you know there was uh, a, uh some sort of a survey done last year. And it said only three point seven percent of all people that get infected get infected at the restaurants, and for us to be treated the way they were treated, it just uh, it, it's 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 unthinkable. I mean, I, I I think both you know mayors and governors and in 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 some senses really really got their egos and their power controls to to limit things uh, because I think more people. Uh, got sick in a lot of different ways, especially airlines and airplanes. uh, When you're sitting literally six inches away from somebody, you know, uh, and they're taking off their masks and they're eating six inches away from you and they're sneezing and they're whatever. There's no way you're going to tell me you're not going to catch COVID when someone's sitting six inches away from you as opposed to someone sitting uh, six feet away from you in a restaurant. So we got treated really, really badly. uh, And I feel for every... Every venture in hospitality, regardless if you're a bar or a restaurant or wherever. And then the idea, you know, especially the idea in the beginning where, you know, bars couldn't open unless they serve food. I mean, what does what does that have to do with COVID? You know, it, there was just a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of stupidity. But anyway, getting back to me, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty much devastating. Uh, we were scheduled to open in the beginning of April. We did open <laughs> just outdoor dining in outdoor dining in July. Uh, Things were great, and then things got cold. People stopped coming out, and then we had some kind of variant again in December, and then they closed us down again. This is all in 2020. I didn't reopen until May, I believe, of 2021. And then during the summer, Delta, it was May was really good. June was really good. And then Delta came around, and it was really bad. And then things just started to be look great again. November and first two weeks of December were great. And the city just looked full of people, full of life. It looked back to normal again, first two weeks of December. And then we got hit again. Last two weeks of December were horrible. January was horrendous. Uh, The first two weeks in February February seemed seemed, uh, really, really good. Uh, The weekend of uh, Valentine's Day was great. Uh, Let's see what happens. But let's see It's not a plan. I mean, you know, if we get another variant, what is going to happen? Is is, you know, is it's you know, are we going to have one or two good months and then have three or four bad months? One or two good months have three or four bad months, and does this continues? It's just not sustainable. You know, I I, I I don't know what's going to happen for restaurants. We've had a few places closed down on our block. I, I it's, it's just not a good time. It's really, really not a good time, you know, and, and the government doesn't need to shut anybody down. I mean, in January, I don't think anything was shut down. I think people just didn't go out themselves, you know, so I don't think the government needs to close you down if there's no business anyway.
2: Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's, I, I I mean, thank you for sharing. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to listen to, to your story and hear what you've been through and, and the whole industry it's been, it has, I mean, challenging is not a strong enough word. Talk about your food a bit here at Wicked Jane, how you've, how you've changed the menu during this time period from your initial concept. I know you were initially just, straight tasting menu. Yeah. Now you're offering both tasting mm-hmm. menu and a la carte. And for someone who's not familiar with your food, which I'm very fortunate to have dined here and had your food and, <laughs> and I can vouch for it. You're you, you can cook <laughs> um, and the yeah, hospitality you, and the whole you. package is wonderful. But for someone who hasn't been here to talk a little about what your, your food and what you're doing.
3: When we, when we opened up last year in July after the, I think it was late June, they said you could do outdoor dining. We opened up, I think, the first week of July, right after late, uh, J- July Fourth. You know, it was just warm, sunny. People needed needed to get out. We were only doing uh, outdoor dining, so I toned down the menu a lot. It was it was the style of food that Wicked Jane was going to do, but it was a ton- lot toner down version of the of. Very uh, simplified, uh, and it was it was great. We you know we were really 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 unexpectedly uh, busy last July August September until it got a little bit chillier. Sh- so uh, then w- then w- once indoors came in, you know very few people were s- sitting out in November. We changed the menu again a little bit little little bit more. Accommodating, maybe uh, I think I had a. I even put a steak on. I put some chicken on, but there just wasn't, at least for me, there just wasn't an, wasn't enough uh, enough business. And when I decided to reopen again in twenty, so so so, the close I was done. I think it was December thirteenth in twenty twenty, and I reopened up again in May of twenty twenty one. I said I'm going to start with a start with a tasting menu and 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 a la carte because that's what the restaurant was supposed to be. So, uh, however, it, we were supposed to do a 16-course tasting menu that we had opened up normally. Uh, I started, I believe, with seven courses, and uh, still, again, a little bit toned down. I I I feel that the food is not as perhaps avant-garde or as out there or as Engaging or as challenging as it would have been. I feel like under these circumstances, the food kind of needs to have some comfort zone to it, even though if it's a tasting menu, it kind of needs to touch your soul a little bit, except and not just make you think uh, or just be unusual. So I'm adding those elements uh, to, to to you know a little bit of comfort to the dishes to the to the tasting menu and 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 food that you might be a, recognize or be or, or, or be accustomed to the combinations but just done a little bit differently
2: right and I mean you have your known well one of your dishes you're most known for is you have your duck which is oh ben that's been on the menu i think the whole time
3: well well yeah that duck has been on it been with me since i've since, since beginning born. of blue i think yeah <laughs> so, uh, i'm trying to think of, if, everywhere if, if i've you. done that before that it's, it's possibly yeah actually actually no i i think that duck came came to came about 10 square so uh that has been with me, and, and, and everyone that's had that duck says it's the best duck they ever had. So it's
2: it's quite delicious. I I,
3: I yes. uh, thank you. So <laughs> I tried changing it once it blew uh, the duck, and actually customers uh, protested. Uh, yeah,
2: that's like when a chef tries to take something off. You know, yeah, you take the they, hamburger they, off the menu, you can't take it off.
3: They would tell the staff that they uh, they're not ordering it just just because they want me to bring back the other the other dish. So after two weeks, I brought it back. Uh, yeah. But that, that that has been on a, you know on on a menu of, of, of the current menu that's, that's really the only dish that's been in, at, at this restaurant. Yeah
2: Actually, you know. change things up. I mean every time I come it's a little different. you make your own bread I mean you're very it's a very ambitious menu and and also <laughs> you how ma- let's talk about how many people are in your kitchen.
3: Yeah, right now it's just me. Yeah, right now just, yeah, uh, right now,
2: just you. I don't think anybody listening would have realized that.
3: Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been difficult to find staff. Uh, so, I I, I kind of got used to just cooking by myself, and I'm kind of enjoying it. Sometimes it feels like I'm being tortured in some nights. <laughs> uh,
2: Challenged.
3: Yeah, but. But I do like the idea that I come in and I'm able to change the menu on a whim, you know, from hour to hour if I want to. You know, it's like if I started with a, with a salmon at the beginning of a service this way, by the end of the service, I can do it, the, you know, a different way, uh, especially, with, especially for the tasting menu. So I don't, I don't, you know, we started here with a, a staff of 12, I believe, had in the kitchen. And, I get, you know, if you're going to change the menu, you got to teach 12 guys how to cook a dish, uh, you know, how to prepare it. Here, I don't need to teach anybody, so I can just do it all myself. So that's what – I like that part. I don't like all the work involved with it, you know, because, we're, we're you know, we're doing 10, 10, 12 dishes for the tasting right now, and then there's another 10 dishes on a lot of cards. So it is a lot of prep and a lot of work, but I do like the fact that I can just come in and just – do whatever I want without having to teach somebody, you know, and take a week or two weeks to teach them how to cook something. I, you know, it's, it's, it's me and I can just change as I go.
2: How many, how many covers or guests can you handle on your own? Uh, About.
3: Well, well, for Valentine's <laughs> Day we did the 52, which was really difficult, but we only had one menu.
2: Okay. Uh,
3: there was a tasting menu of uh, six courses. So, uh, but we did two turns, uh, for, 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 Valentine's day. So, so that was, that was the biggest. And, and you know, uh, I'm really good. I'm a, I'm i I'm, yeah. I'm a very, very good cook. I, you know? I know you
2: are. And I feel you get in a zone and can handle it. I, um, I,
3: I, I enjoy, I enjoy that, uh, that torture. I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy that pain, uh, I wish I could just go crash somewhere closer by because I live in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, so I commuting or driving back is the one thing that I do hate at the end of the night. But if I, if, if I lived across yeah. the street or around the block and I could just go there within a five minute walk it would be great. And I would be even more inspired because I would probably come here at right. 10 o'clock in the morning uh and work on dishes and, and 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 just be i really love what i do i honestly love being in the kitchen i love cooking i love sweating i love getting burnt i love running around you know like a hurricane right now uh from one station to another station you know to do yeah. to do the whole menu uh i enjoy it all uh, you know uh some people don't i enjoy it I, uh, that's good. you know, I would not yeah. want to be anywhere. I mean, I, look, I enjoy, I love traveling. I love going out to eat in restaurants. I love drinking great wine. I love fine dining, high-end restaurants. Uh, and, but I, but I, you know, even if I was worth a billion dollars, I would probably still open a restaurant.
2: Yeah. But that's, that's why you're, what's why you do what you do and, and why you, I, I mean, I feel you people who get in this industry and cook, uh, there's a passion for it, and you certainly have the passion for it and the talent. So Thank you.
3: Yeah, I I really, really, really love, love being in the kitchen.
2: So before we take a break, let me ask you my question from my last guest. On episode 315, I had on Jim Meehan. He's a bartender and journalist and author of the PDT Cocktail Book and Meehan's Bartender Manual, and he founded... Mixography. He's currently based in Portland, Oregon. So he wants to know, what is building a community in 2022 going to look like, and how are we going to do it as contemporary restaurateurs in this day and age? And more specifically, how do you, how do you plan to connect with the locals and build community here in Greenwich Village?
3: Uh, that's something that I myself have been thinking about uh, doing this whole time. Uh, how do we stay in touch with uh, with the locals? How do we uh, feed the locals? And when we open up in 20, uh, 2020, I said, I'm, "I'm I'm cooking food for the locals right now. I just want them to go out and have have a good time and enjoy themselves." And you know, and and you know, re- remember, I was working on. on, on I, I think you were one of the first ones to have a dish called bee dog, which. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I was, I was just thinking of, you know, I don't need to be fancy. It's, it's, it's. You know, it's July 2020. I don't need to need to do anything. I just want to feed people. I'm, 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 I'm here for the community to try to bring some joy into their life. To try to make them feel a little bit better. You know. Uh, so I, I wish we were a little bit more tighter, the hospitality industry in this area. I wish we had, you know, it would give us a little bit more power. We do have uh, the Village Alliance. They do uh, try to generate some business for us and try to hold the community together, but I I, I, I really don't know. I, I I, would love for the restaurants to be a little bit more closer and tighter together because it would just give us a lot more power with, uh, including with suppliers. Uh, you know, if, if, if we can have some sort of a alliance, it would give us a lot more buying power with, uh, with suppliers as well. But uh, I think communities have tried that and for whatever reason, it, it, it hasn't worked. And I think, look, if this was the last variant and in two or three months, uh things get back to normal people are going to forget about this really really fast you know it's 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 you know uh you know everyone is dying for life life to return to normal you know uh so i know i don't have an answer for you know how can we get the community uh feed the community in a a different way but i wish we did
2: wow Yeah, you do have an answer, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, but um, that's great, and we will take a little break, so stay with us. We will come back, and we'll play my speed round. I have my, we'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: The future of farming in America is uncertain. Our farmers are aging and selling off their land. But the pandemic has revealed the importance of local farms as the national and international supply chain continues to be disrupted.
0: I mean, it's not like most farmers have a company-sponsored retirement plan.
1: I'm Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager, and I want to tell you about a new show. Hosted by John Piotti, the president and CEO of American Farmland Trust, and produced in collaboration with Heritage Radio Network, this is No Farms, No Future. There is a new generation of small farmers. We're here to tell their stories, share knowledge, and dig deep into the future of American farming. From Land Stewardship.
0: We are losing 2,000 acres of farmland a day.
1: The price of land is often so high that it's really hard to get started. To cracks in the supply chain.
2: By the time I go shopping every single day, there's no meat left to feed my family.
1: The future of farms is the future of food. Subscribe to No Farms, No Future, a new podcast from American Farmland Trust and Heritage Radio Network. Find us wherever you like to listen.
2: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is chef and owner Zod Arifay of Wicked Jane. We are currently on location at Wicked Jane, which is lovely, pre-service, having, having great coffee and tea as we do the interview. So it's time for my speed round game. So Zod, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You ready? Oh, okay. Sounds good. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. Always eat out. Not surprised. Indoor dining or al fresco dining. Indoor. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne. Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte. Tasting. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Neither. <laughs> I you are going to say chef's counter, but neither. Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Either. Either. Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones?
3: Led Zeppelin by far.
2: Michelin stars, the world's 50 best list, or the New York Times stars? I uh, have a preference.
3: Wow. Uh, I don't have to go with Michelin.
2: That I, I, I thought you were going to say that one in my head. I got right. right. Um, but yeah, they're awesome. Well, I, I, I ate it in a lot of
3: 50 best restaurants, and a lot of them were not good, unfortunately, back five years ago. So I don't. I mean, Michelin is a little bit more... <clears throat> the guidance is a little bit more accurate as opposed to just things that are hip at the moment or whatever.
2: Got it. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert?
3: Oh, well that's tough. Both. Uh, but if I have to pick one, it would be cheese.
2: Last one's Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Montclair.
3: Uh... Well, obviously Manhattan, but things are very tough in Manhattan to do business right now, like really, really difficult, difficult getting here, difficult leaving here, difficult walking on the streets. So New York, Manhattan is not what it it used to be. I I hope it gets back to what it used to be. But I had great 10 years running Montclair, and I actually got to thank people from Montclair for supporting me for 10 years because I was doing very, very cutting edge avant-garde food there when I first started. And they loved it. Uh, the media loved it and quickly became a very known, famous restaurant. And I got to thank those people.
2: That was nice. Liked it.
3: Yeah.
2: Great. That's the game.
3: Oh, yeah? So we're yeah? done? Oh, yeah, you're was, good. That wasn't bad. Not bad. Was very easy. You
2: were very speedy at the beginning. Mm. I got you talking a little at the end, but yeah, it was good. Okay. So for industry news, I picked out an article that was on Grub Street. It's entitled... <coughs> New York's restaurants are bracing for an avocado catastrophe, $25 for an order of guacamole. This is by Rachel Sugar. So this, um, apparently it's saying, well, I read about this in multiple (laughs) media outlets, but the troubles apparently started last weekend when the U.S. announced it would temporarily shut down imports of avocados from Mexico after a verbal threat was made to U.S. safety inspectors working in the country, and this was in a piece in the New York Times, and this piece talks to a lot of mostly restaurateurs and chefs who have Mexican restaurants in the city that are obviously going to be affected by avocados with guacamole mm-hmm. and lots of things mm-hmm. in their dishes. But um, I don't know what's your take on this, and I mean, you don't do you use avocados a lot here? I don't. I rarely.
3: But I haven't had
2: an avocado here.
3: This is the first time. I've- <laughs> First time I'm hearing this, I I actually didn't know that, but look, we've had shortages, you know, uh, throughout, whether it's pandemic or not, we've always had shortages of something or this or that. And I remember maybe like eight years ago, there was a shortage of flour. Uh, I remember flour went up really, really high. uh... (coughs) So, and you would think, oh, why would flour? I mean, there's so much wheat. But there's you know, things happen. Uh I I I don't use much avocado, but I feel bad for all the people who have avocado toast at Mexican restaurants. That's uh I feel I feel for them.
2: Yeah, it I mean they the pricing, they talked a bit about that, how um already the <coughs> price of a case of avocados has has almost doubled. And I didn't know, I didn't realize this until I, th- I read this piece. But it says this area, it's called, I'm not going to pronounce this right Mi- Michiocan. It's in Mexico. And I looked up on the map where it was. It's a whole region kind of to the west of Mexico City. But this is the only region in Mexico approved to export avocados to the US. It says 80% of avocados served here come from there. And I did not, I did not know that. So, um
3: and actually, a few years back, I think we had an avocado shortage as well, or yeah. prices went up uh, a couple of years back. So, so, so I mean, this stuff happens all the time. So uh, you just have to move on and live.
2: Yeah, you know, true, true. Like, it's just it's yeah. challenging for a restaurant uh, that's known for their guac and chips, yeah. and uh, you know Absolutely. is really and uh, so I, you know, I, I mean, I, I hope this doesn't last I very mean, long, I mean, I mean, in, in that. In in general,
3: food food has went up. In some cases, up to three hundred percent more than what I was paying before pre pre pandemic. Not everything, but in some cases. <laughs> yeah. And we're certainly not charging three hundred percent more uh, to the customer. So in general, the restaurants are always getting screwed. I mean, you know, we're always taking the beaten, Whether it's you know, you have a hundred reservations and fifty people cancel or do- decide to not show up on any given night, which I, I don't understand, you know, how does that happen? But they do, you know, and it's not it's 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 across every restaurant. So in general, we're always getting screwed somehow, uh, you know. It's become a bit tougher and tougher to to do business.
2: Very sorry to hear yeah. that. No, it's tough. I know it's very tough. And again, I, I do. I mean, it's a, it's just a it's a very tough business, people don't realize how hard it is like, and also that you're you, you know. you're you're here to provide hospitality mm. and and deliciousness for people you bring you bring so much good mm. to the world so i hope it gets easier for you guys i really do be optimistic i guess, <laughs> I,
3: guess we, I guess we will see in the meantime we just yeah. continue to roll on
2: yeah, true. And just also to note, the chef from uh, Rosa Mexicano did uh say in this piece that um he's not opposed to alternative sources for avocados like California av- avocados and South American, but he was saying there's not enough. So, um yeah. Uh we'll see what happens with Over that. Or about an
3: alternative guacamole.
2: Yeah, they actually he did also is, quote, continues on saying that he's not really interested in the frozen pre-packaged pulp product, though. Um, I think it's, you know, it's case to case a chef specific of what, they are, what they're they comfortable doing. But. Um, so what is it? Snowing? What? <laughs> We're sitting by the window. Ah, yeah, there's a little snow. OK, fabulous.
3: Wow. I don't think that was. In the
2: forecast. No, it's not, but that's um, it's exciting. Maybe a little fall on snowstorm now. No,
3: on a Saturday, it's not exciting. So,
2: <laughs> okay, so a little announcement. Uh, I, I did say this on my last show that all in the industry, the podcast you're listening to, we were just nominated for two awards with the 13th Annual Taste Awards. Uh, one is in the general category Taste Award for Best Single Topic Series. And very excited about both of these. But that one is, that's not a voting uh, nomination, but the other one is. So Viewer's Choice Taste Award nominee for Best Food or Drink Radio Broadcast. This show is up for that. And you can vote. So you can go to thetasteawards.com and up until March 11th and vote. If you're, you know, you can vote for this show. You could, if you'd like to support and, um, there's other heritage radio shows that are also nominated, and um, yeah, it's exciting. And I appreciate listeners and any, all that you that you're, you you listen to this show. And if you if you like what you listen to, go ahead and vote. It would be fun to win. Okay, so it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at Skirt Steak. Here's the rundown. The location, 835 6th Avenue at 29th Street, Midtown, New York City, in the Kimpton Hotel of The concept, so it's a one-of-a-kind steakhouse that says it only does one thing well, or medium, or rare. The chef and owner is Laurent Turindel. He also has Le Amico and Vine at the hotel, and he's known from the BLT Steak and BLT Restaurant Group. So why would I go? Well, I know Laurent, and I'm a fan. And this place has gotten a lot of buzz. It's new. It's very popular, and I wanted to check it out. So my experience a couple days ago, earlier this week, I went for an early dinner because I had seen there's lines at this restaurant. So I got there 4:45. They open at five, and there were already a few people ahead of me in line. But my timing was good because actually when I left the restaurant later, there was a line going all the way down the block. So this place is very popular. So they don't accept reservations except for parties of, of seven or more. So you, if you want to go, you show up early like I did. And um, I, they, they asked for proof of ID and Vax, which is still doing here in New York. And I opted for a seat at a table versus the bar. They gave me the choice. Um, the... Sir came over right away and he showed me on the table. It was actually written in the corner. There were three words. It said greens, skirt steak, fries, $28. That's the menu. So that's what I got. There were also some additional sides that you could order, like jalapeno mashed potatoes and sauteed spinach. There was a $10 garlic bread you could get instead of the regular bread. And there was also a dessert cart they wheeled by at the end that had some Fabulous looking desserts in it, but I just decided to go straight for this twenty eight dollar menu and see see what that was like. So, as I said, what did I get? That's what I got, and it came. It's greens, eight ounces of skirt steak, un, like a large abundance of fries, um, and uh, that's what everyone must get. By the way, too, you can't go there and share this. It's really it's really meant for solo diners in that sense. So my take. So bread and butter was really good. The greens were very simply dressed. It was like a bib lettuce, kind of a light vinaigrette. And then the steak came and I ordered it medium, uh, which I typically do medium rare. And my server said medium would be the way to go. And the the steak was delicious. I I loved it. And I actually loved, it came with this amazing peppercorn vernaise sauce that was delicious and abundance of fries. So um, I did not finish all the fries or the steak. I had a little leftovers, but um, it was a really nice meal. The ambiance. So it's a simplistic, large dining room. It's got a large bar in the middle. It has individual tables, community tables. Uh, It's mostly light woods and has big windows. It's on a corner location uh, of the hotel property. I'd say it's perfect for a solo night out or dinner with friends. Interesting tidbit. The space used to be Chef George Mendes's Portuguese restaurant, Loop Below. And apparently, I also saw this online that they have a secret menu that you can ask for that is things like cauliflower steak. This place, I think, has gotten a lot of buzz because they've been on TikTok and they kind of attracted a younger audience going in for this, this deal because it's a very low price point for what you get. Personal fun fact I ran into some industry friends when I was leaving. I saw Kate Crater, Stephen Hall, Margaret Braun. They were all going in for dinner together. I had just mit- missed Laurent. I caught up with him on social the next day um, when I posted, and I told him I'd be talking about this today. So, hi, Laurent. Fabulous concept, and uh, sorry to miss you. The cost is 28, not including tax gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And the website is skirtsteaknyc.com, Instagram skirtsteak.nyc, Chef Saad. What do you think of all this?
3: Sounds interesting.
2: <laughs> I had a it's feeling you might, yeah. It is, it's, he's, he's, it's a, there's there's only one thing you can get.
3: Yeah. I, I think there's a place in Upper East Side or West Side that does the same thing though. There's a, uh, you, you sit down, it's only one steak, uh, nothing else. <laughs> and it was, I think I've been there twice. With our friend Jack, okay, and uh, it was for It's inexpensive, and I think for whatever reason, people love that. Uh, they come back. I remember they they come back and give you. I think if you want more fries or more salad or something, I don't remember. those was quite some time ago. I
2: I I don't think I needed more fries. I mean, there was an abundance amount of fries, and they 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 bring them in a basket that kind of plate them up for you, and you're like, wow, this is. This is this is a nice you know a, a nice uh, a plentiful amount. I don't know if they would do unlimited. I feel it was the amount of food I had. Like I was very satisfied, but you could certainly from the different sides and desserts and make it even a heartier meal, and then the price point would go up. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll have I mean, to see
3: to get a steak uh, in Manhattan for twenty eight dollars, even. Yeah, you know, six ounces or eight ounces, wherever you know, it wherever eight. it was. Yeah, with salad and French fries.
2: Sal salad, French fries, and and bread.
3: You get all three of them. Yeah. I mean, that's beyond the deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, he must have some kind of special connection with the butchers, uh, because.
2: Yeah, and I think it's. I think he's relying on volume. And <clears throat> I mentioned this, but when I left, there I don't was literally—it's the big, though. It's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. I don't know this. I I don't know the seat the the amount of covers, but I'm guessing it's like a hundred. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty spacious.
3: I went there once when it uh, when it was whatever it was before that.
2: It was Loop Below, which was. Um, Portuguese, it yeah, was, and that so was a great bar, restaurant.
3: It was, yeah, the food was good, but I remember it being small. I don't remember it being big, but you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe there was more room.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um,
3: maybe, maybe the way it got constructed now, there's more room that wasn't available before. I don't know.
2: Yeah, he also has a like. There were at least two communal tables, and mm. so yeah. Oh, well. anyways, good for them. It was fun. Okay, it's time for the final question. My next guest is Joanna James. She's the founder and CEO of MAP, a nonprofit supporting women-led food organization. It's empowering women to lead through mentorship and advocacy. And she's doing her first conference called Restaurant Reset in South Florida, April 24th to 26th. She's also a film director. Her movie uh, came out, I think it was about two years ago, called A Fine Line. It's a women a women's place in the kitchen. She's a producer and a writer, does a lot. So Zod, what would you like to ask Joanna?
3: My question is, what was your inspiration to start this movement? What sparked? Was there a moment that was a spark and you said, I got to do this?
2: Okay, that's great. I will ask. I will find out. I'd like to know myself. That's the show. There you go.
3: Thank you for having me again. It was always a pleasure talking to you. I wish we could talk for a few more hours.
2: Yeah, well, I need a longer show, but um, and also to get in the
3: kitchen and start doing prep. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know,
2: I know. Uh, It is Saturday, and
3: yeah, but it is always a pleasure to talk with you, and I hope the snow does not. I hope it's just a few flurries, and it's not. We're not getting snow tonight. Yes,
2: well, it's there's it's it's very very light right now, so we will see. But um, I always enjoy chatting with you. I always enjoy your food and dining at your restaurant and I um I wish you the best and and I hope I hope it gets easier I'm gonna say Uh, it will get easier
3: yeah because you've been Uh, through a lot and we're hoping for a lot but it's not hope is I always say hope is not a plan so as much as you can hope it doesn't get you anywhere
2: all right well (laughs) on that note Thank you. Thank uh, yeah. you for taking the time. Uh, and
3: Absolutely. And it was great yes. being here.
2: It was great being here too. Thank uh, you. And
3: thank you for coming.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. My guest today has been Zat Arafe. He's the chef and owner of Wicked Jane in Manhattan's Greenwich Village. His website is wickedjane.com. And on social media, you can follow him and the restaurant at Wicked NYC. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and All in the Industry.com. All of our shows are archived at Heritage Radio network.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to Zod. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I'm going to be off next week and back with a new show with Joanna James on March 9th. So I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Bye.